you Kiora Tatofano, Kunekiaho, Ko Gary Takuhua Rangatira. He's my chief. <laughs> Thanks, Sam. Is he? Where's Sam? He's not here. Sam was here before, must be out with the kiddies. Enoho na Tamariki, Kayamato, Mokapuna, Tokorua. We, Gary and I, have six children between us and two grandchildren. And um, it's unfortunate we have run out of a little bit of time today because there was some amazing stuff going on in the weekend. And I'm not going to dwell on that, but I'm going to continue the path through it. Um, and I was intrigued last week. I, I was helping with kids, so I didn't hear the sermon, but it was on Nehemiah and speaking about the Israelites being in the desert. I think I might just move back a bit. You can hear me too much. And, um, and my talk today is about our own wildernesses. And um, I'm going to allude a little bit to, to one of my own. I better get quicker. Beautiful. Whoa. And <clears throat> title of this is, Is He Enough? Is God Enough? When Jesus uh, was baptised, <clears throat> this happened. As soon as Jesus was baptised, he went out, up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, who, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Jesus knew his identity, and God was pleased with who he was. And the next bit follows, and I'm, not, I'm going to truncate this, so don't worry, it's not going to be... Long, but you'll get the gist. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, and the tempter came to him and said, if, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. <clears throat> He's tempted two more times, and at the end of that part, the devil left him and angels came and attended to him. Now Jesus knew his identity, and he was able to endure the desert, or his own wilderness season. <clears throat> when um, my identity was, was touch and go growing up, I have to say, um, but there was one thing I did have a sure identity on, was that I was clever. Now my older sister had dipped out of school, my younger brother was rebelling his way through it, so I guess I was the only hope, middle child for my parents. And I shared, the, so it was my fifth form, year 11 at Wellington Girls, and I just shared with a group of girls, I don't know why it came out, but I was the cleverest in the family. That was my identity. Immediately I was touched, I pushed into a desert season, because one girl said, you must have a really dumb family. <laughs> hurt. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> um, I didn't let it be my identity. Um, but it was a real challenge. It was a challenge. And um, I thought it just to have a bit of a laugh at me was helpful too. So, <laughs> But growing up, I, I remember, I, I do remember looking up to my parents. I would like, uh, literally, but also figuratively. And I, I remember thinking, when I'm an adult, I'd have arrived like I've got this plateau and I would have got there and I don't have any worry or the growing up angst are over and I would have arrived. I mean, my parents' life was perfect and normal and they had arrived, hadn't they? Not. But I did arrive. I came to adulthood and things happened and losses came. 
I had miscarriages. I was betrayed and my 20-year marriage collapsed with wide-reaching effects to my children, my family and friends. I endured the ups and downs of raising three children and all the calamity that might have involved, especially with my middle child. My daughter was perfect. <laughs> Most of the time. Um, I put myself in a desert season um, one year, um, some years ago. Gary and I had three months in the Philippines serving, um, serving missionaries on their mission field. And I experienced the dark night of the soul. And that was quite, quite a difficult season. And I'd been disobedient, especially in my youth. And I had become a Christian around 15, and I knew, and I was still disobedient, and I did some dumb stuff. But I'd also been disobedient by stopping reading the Bible. And who's the loser there? But whatever the season I found myself in, and during, have I got that? That's not it. Um, I've endured my own experiences. I have often felt deserted, and I have felt deserted by God, and I have felt deserted by people. But notice the operative word there, I have felt deserted. There are Bible characters, many, many Bible characters who have had their own desert experience, but I want to name two who you may not think about. One is Hannah, who had her own infertility desert time. And she was rewarded with what not one children, but many more to come. And there was also Anna. Why do you think Anna might have been in the desert? Here a desert experience. Well, she was in the temple for something like 40 years waiting for the Messiah. Now, she didn't know when he was coming, and I would say 40 years of waiting and praying faithfully as a widow in the temple for the presentation of Jesus at the temple is probably a long desert time, but that's enduring faith that she would have been praying for all that time. And look, for those for us who are in the wilderness and have desert seasons, they come in many ways, and I'm going to suggest a few to you that might, might resonate, but there are many, many ways that we enter the desert, and for many reasons. And it could be a season in our lives that change our circumstances. It could be a job loss or a new job. It could be moving away. And for some people yesterday, I was really aware when we had the international languages that people have come across oceans to come to New Zealand to live. That can send you into a desert season. Um, it can be acute short-term ill health. Look, you could have a perpetual desert a desire to be married and no forthcoming marriage partner, or unsaved family members and there's no fruit of your prayer yet, or a chronic illness for you or a family member that you may never be healed from. No fruit from prayer may just be your perpetual desert, or really it could be just because. The Israelites were just because in the desert, but they happened to stay there because they were disobedient within their desert time. And they were, um, no, I'm going to skip back a little bit here. Sometimes it's not that fantastic using the tablet. However, it wants to edit every time I touch it. But yeah, whatever the reason, many of us have been through a desert season and are going through a desert season, and it could be a short one, it could be a long one. Uh, the Israelites, their turning back on God's goodness meant that they were stuck in the desert for some 40 years, far longer than they needed to be. But maybe they needed to be for their character to be grown. 
My most recent um, desert experience lasted a lot longer than I would have liked. And I think I haven't learnt my lesson of navigating the desert 101, and I had to repeat that paper before moving on to navigating out of the desert 201. And there's a truth in that because looking back, I believe that I was actually having a little bit of a pity party of sorts and I got stuck, a bit like the Israelites. And I believe that God allowed the Israelites to remain in their desert to grow their character and their dependence on him and maybe God was lovingly doing that with me in my desert. And I had a, he let me have my pity party, but he was growing my character and despite that, God never left me and he never left the Israelites. And this is what Moses said to the Israelites before he checked out. The Lord your God has blessed you in all that you've done. He has known your wanderings through his great wilderness. These 40, day, uh, 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you. You have not lacked a thing. Now we might think we lack things in our desert experiences, but we have not lacked a thing because that is a promise from God. That is scriptural. That is his rima, his word. What felt real to me, um, what didn't, sorry, what didn't feel real to me, that he was there, didn't um, negate the fact that he was there and I was not left alone. God's with us, he's with you, he's with me in every aspect of our lives. So, navigating the desert, 101. With, uh, I wrote this paper for my own university of learning school. And the first thing is that a desert, as we know, and I've never been in a um, Middle Eastern desert of sand and sand dunes, but I've been in desert places and, and some experiences of, of a sense of that, and I'll explain that shortly. But it's a hot and dry and arid place and sometimes hard going and lonely. Um, <clears throat> it's funny, my Facebook, or Gary's and I have a little private Facebook page, and up's coming um, four years ago, these memories of us walking the Camino across the top of Spain to Santiago. So we did um, 800 kilometres in five weeks as a pilgrimage um, at about this time of the year four years ago. And um, I'll explain a little bit of backstory of the reason for that. Um, Gary was essentially in, in burnout from ministry and we needed to pull back and take time out from it. And there were times when I had trouble sleeping, as you do when you've got a stranger in a bunk bed that far away from you and there's snorers and it's hot and it's sticky and sweaty and you just, the albergues where we slept were just cramming people in on the way and you just slept in your sleeping bag and you got up and you walked the next day. And um, I woke up, I would sleep to the audio Bible and I woke up to the scripture one day. <clears throat> the bed is too short to stretch out on and the blanket too narrow to wrap around you. And at that moment, as I came into consciousness, waking to that, my feet were at the end of my sleeping bag and I was a little bit tangled up in it. So I just thought, God's with me in my desert. But the thing was, it wasn't really a desert season at all, but I think he was actually preparing me for the desert season to follow. So he may feel far away, but he has promised that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Now, this scripture was read yesterday and it's been read this morning and I'm just going to read the second part of it. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I want to say who loves us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, or anything in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Jesus was in the desert. He was led there. Satan tested him by saying, if you're the son of God. He was questioning his identity. God didn't show up. He didn't rescue him. He didn't come in and take him out. But he was quiet. He was waiting. He was watching. He was loving. And God didn't change. And he's the same for all of us. Now, I don't know if you've... Um, I skipped through a slide there, but you might get the gist. E, D-E-S-E-R-T. We're up to E for exile. So, desert time is exile. It's a disconnection from God. If we hold anger, bitterness, resentment or disappointment at others or at God, it actually exiles us from his love. He doesn't change, we do. For instance, if we are affronted by something that someone says to us, that affront is okay. But if that leads to something more like holding on to it, it becomes an offence. And an offence and holding offence can separate us from God. And that can lead to something even worse, I reckon. Unforgiveness of others and of self leads to bitterness, it leads to unmet expectations that define us and our responses. And I can vouch for that because I had gone through a period of bitterness, of unforgiveness, and I was the loser and probably many people around me. And thankfully that was many years ago because I was ignoring this bit. For if you forgive other people, and these are the words of Jesus, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, your heavenly Father, your Father will not forgive you or your sins. So important that you need to go and forgive. Ask forgiveness from God and forgive the people who have sinned and hurt you. You may not get a reconciliation, but you need to forgive. I am totally disconnected from a family member. Uh, we will never probably in, in reality reconcile but I'm pleased that I can before God know that I've forgiven that person for the disconnection. But as long as we hold on to it, we are not going to move out of our desert season. So the first thing I think I needed to do was, yes, say it. Say how it was. Tell God about the problem. He can take it. If you're disappointed, if you're angry, if you're let down, and if you think God has done it because I was really disappointed in God, acknowledge the emotion and tell him. But also tell your friends, tell your trusted friends. And that came up yesterday in someone's testimony as they were sharing how important it is not to carry it on your own, but tell people who can come around you and, and support you, but also hold you to account. Keep the pity party short. <laughs> I'm not really good at that, actually. I think I'm a natural sulker, I really have to say. <laughs> Don't say anything, husband. <laughs> He's probably going, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look, forget navel-gazing. Oh, I'm so pleased I said it that way. I was, often when I practice this, I was going, nasal. <laughs> navel-gazing. Lay down the victim mentality. We are victors, we are not victims. 
Looking down on our problem keeps us in the pity party. Taking, but taking ownership of how we feel starts to move us out of it. And look up to Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on him, not the arid ground in front. And I'm always thinking of um, quail on the, the, the ferret around on the, on the um, ground. So I go for walks in the bush and, and often there are quail there and they're quite frightened and they run away. But they don't fly, they run and they're pecking around in the ground in front of them. And that's sort of like the navel gazing, it's like looking at the arid ground in front of you. But an eagle flies high and soars and can see a better perspective. And maybe that's God's perspective on us, but maybe we can hold that perspective too. But there's one person in the Bible who did a beautiful complaint to God, and you might think I'm talking about David, and he, he complained very well. And, and the Psalms are really encouraging me because he is real with God. And if, you're not, if you don't know how to be real with God, just read the Psalms, like 112, you know, smite them, may they gnash their teeth and all this, you know, <laughs> kill them, Lord, <laughs> my horrible enemies. You know, like, really? That's in the Bible? Yes, it is. And God can take it. <clears throat> Moses said this. He turned to the Lord and he said, Lord, why have you brought me this trouble on your people? Is this why you sent me here? I went to the king and said what you told me to say, but ever since that time he has made the people suffer and you've done nothing to save them. For me, I had to take stuff to God. And, and a little bit of the backstory was that as, as Gary went through his burnout in ministry, he actually ended up having to resign and, and leave and that meant a change of a lot of things in our lives and it also meant a change for my my ministry because I had hooked into to his. And my question that I was struggling with is who am I when I'm not something? Where's my identity? Is it in what I do? Is it the platform I stand on? Is it being using all the gifts that I have and getting and, and affirmations are really good and really important and we need affirmations. But if that's what our drive is and where our identity is then we can slip off the wagon a little bit because people change their minds. People are fickle. And um, I might say something to someone and their whole opinion will change of me forever. So um, having our identity in, in affirmations is actually, um, it's not healthy. It's not healthy. Our identity has to be in Jesus. And that was a big um, thing on Friday night of our identity as the Father's um, heart for us. So I went through some spiritual direction um, and had this wonderful woman from Fielding who just helped me through a season. But one day she caught me up short and she said, if you're, you and Gary, if your marriage was in trouble, what would you do? And I said, well, I'd go to Gary and talk about it. And she said, so if your relationship with God was in, is in trouble, what would you do? Ooh. Whoa. Wow, that really, ouch. And I realised I was holding on to pride. I didn't want to take my agony to God. I didn't want to take my disappointment to him. I didn't want to tell him I was disappointed. So she invited me to make a time with God, and I do that through music. So I made a Spotify list of all the songs I love, and one of them, a random song peeped in. It was um, the old Hill song one, I Run To You. I thought, oh, but I run to you. I run back into Jesus' arms. I had a box of tissues, I had the house to myself, I lay down prostrate over the pillows and um, just cried my little heart out as I sobbed and sobbed and then 
went through a, a confession to God. I'm really sorry, God, that I, I am really disappointed in you and I'm disappointed with the way my life has gone. It wasn't what I thought. I thought we'd arrived. And as, as I went into that, he really soothed my heart. It was like open heart surgery. Now, many of you will know the Revelation song, um, the Revelation song by Jesus Culture. And there's a live uh, version of it that's about nine minutes long, and I played that because that's a song that really spoke to me. And right at the end, Kim singing, I adore you, as we are worshipping God, I adore you. But something extraordinary happened. Oh, here I go. He was singing it to me. He was saying to me, he adored me. And I really needed to hear that then, that he loved me, and he adored me even in my dysfunction at that time. And look, my situation was from nothing and from no one. It just was. But I had to respond. So I'm still in a work in progress. But as I've been, you know how they say, um, oh, you know, practice what you preach. I've been practicing this. Exalt God with joy and expect him to be faithful. And I remember years ago in the days when I thought Joyce Meyer was absolutely amazing, she said this, and it's so true, complain and remain in the desert or praise and raise up out of the desert. Now, I just want to, to qualify that, that if you praise God, it doesn't mean your desert season will end. It's not about that. But it's about taking your focus up on God and being able to do the desert well. And um, the other one I um, qualify I want to say is it's, it's not necessarily about the outcome. It's not where the promised land or where you're headed to or where it takes you because some people's desert seasons are for their life. They may, may never get to that end. But it is about the journey and how well we do it with God. And this is a beautiful one that Helen Gunson shared yesterday and, and, and I just love the affirmations and, and things that came up over our Women's Weekend that all on this word here from God, but how is our mindset? Do we have an attitude of gratitude? Because if we don't, our eyes will be downcast. You know, Paul, in all his beatings and his imprisonments and shipwrecks that he endured, he fixed his eyes on Jesus. And he's not the only one who praised him in beautiful ways, but I made a discovery, actually, that this psalm is repeated twice in the Bible. Why has it taken me 57 years to figure this one out? Did you know that? It's twice. Check it out. I think it is. I might be wrong, and if I am, I can take it. <laughs> Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? And, he, and David's talking to himself. He's talking to his soul. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. When I focus on my issues, I'm sorry for me. And I think actually a lot of my family members and friends are probably a little bit tired of me. When I focus on God, he is magnified and my situation atrophies. And I'm really slow to get that point. But if we keep praising him, it doesn't matter what we feel. Now, this is another qualifier. Praising God isn't about our emotions. Praising God is about the goodness of God, his perfect love for us. It's about his worship. It's, it's exalting him. That's why we praise him. Out of that, we might actually start to feel good. <clears throat> and it helps build our enduring faith and courage and strength in the Holy Spirit. Because if we're not praising and exalting, 
they may not be able to endure the journey ahead. Ah, what do you think this might be for? She said, highlighting and editing her thing as she goes, read, read his word. Now, I love this little quote from Bill Johnson. Um, I think it's from him. If, I, if it's not, then God will know who to attribute it from to. Not reading the Bible and expecting to hear from God is like expecting a phone call with your mobile switched off. <laughs> it's good, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, the word nourishes you. Whether you remember it or not, whether you, it imprints on you or not, it nourishes you. You know, this time last week, you won't remember what you might have had for lunch, but it still nourished you. Whatever you read of the word, it's your living rema. It's God's rema for you, and it brings life to you. And immerse yourself in his promises. Count on it. They're all there, and I've given you snippets, and there are more to come. But believe his promises. And again, it may not be an emotional response, but just believe it in faith that his promises are true and they are never changing. Yeah. And be obedient. So there are commands to, to um, have joy, but it's also um, a, a, um, an encouragement to choose joy in our affliction. And again, someone spoke yesterday about joy in their affliction. And look, there are over 25 verses in the Bible to talk about, uh, they talk about choosing joy. And it, we, it's not happiness. Happiness is circumstantial. Joy is the deep joy of the love of the Spirit in you that gets you through all those hard things. And, and when I went through um, this um, a family breakup some 16 years ago, I had this ex- inexplicable joy, but I know where it came from. James um, says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, Whenever you face trials of any, many kinds, because you know that your testing, the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And look, I'm just taking snippets, but you get the gist. I'm, I'm not going to explain it in its context, um, but they're ones that are aimed at um, just this talk right now. Psalm 51. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. I'm overflowing with the joy in our, in, in our affliction. And this one I really, really love. This is a beautiful one. I'm just going to move to the side to read it there. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. <clears throat> I think that's just a delightful, delightful verse. And then we get to T. <clears throat> Trust him. Despite the reason for your desert experience, is your identity in Christ enough for you to trust God to come through for you? He asks us to be courageous, to endure. And there's one way that can happen is by his spirit. And his spirit will give us what we need to keep standing. And pray. Pray for wisdom. Pray for revelation. Pray for God to surround you and give you everything you need. 
And that almost takes it back up to the S, say it like it is to God. And as, as um, we ask for courage from God, we get it because we have his spirit. And even back in the um, Old Testament with Joshua, have I not commanded you, says God, be strong and courageous. Again, this was yesterday, uh, this verse came up. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Those who know your name trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. And I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in my salvation. I could go on. You've got the point, I think. God will not forsake us, and he wants us to endure with courage and, yes, joy. Is your identity in Jesus? Do you trust him with your stuff? Do you trust him with when your life isn't going the way you had hoped? Every character in the Bible who has any significance in their journey in God, their lives never went the way they'd hoped. But God used them in phenomenal ways. Do you trust him in your desert experience? When um, I had this family split, this, this marriage um, break up um, 16 or so years ago. I had some wonderful people come around me and a spiritual director took me through IDT, which is Interactional Drawing Therapy, which I sort of thought was really naff at the time. And she talked me through it. And what I drew was me going up a hill, trudging up. And as she talked me through and asked the questions, she asked about what was next, and I realised that the hill came to an end, and I went down the other side, and there was a new valley, something new, and, and it was a revelation from God that I was actually walking into a new season. And on the Camino, Gary and I had this amazing experience, and I have to say, you know, Gary and I have been married, coming up for 10 years now, and, um, you know, God's been a restorer of, of losses in many, many ways. So we're on the Camino together and we walked up. Uh, I knew the light wouldn't be so great on this, but you can see a little cone hill in, in the background there. We stayed in a village there and we could see across to this little um, rise, and it was quite a big rise really, in this plateau that we had to climb the next day, which we didn't often see the path ahead uh, uh, as we were setting out. So we set out early in the morning, even though it was hot, um, the Meseta, in central north Spain, or um, northern in the middle of it, um, is quite high, quite arid. Um, the afternoon winds come in and they buffet you from the south, um, and it's pretty hard going. And um, we were aware of, of how hot it was. So we walked up this hill and we looked back and we could see where we had come from. And I saw that it was actually quite a lot of beauty in what was behind us. And uh, the photo colours don't come up terribly well under the light, but it was pretty, pretty special to look back on. And we climbed up over the next bit, and we always had way markers. That was the symbol for the way, the shell and the arrow. And we looked over the other side. And there was a beautiful new valley to walk through. And when we did walk in through that valley, all we saw was the road in front of us and the fields either side. But we had a snippet of what we were walking into. And I had a revelation. God loves me. 
and I'm his beloved child. My identity is in him, and that despite going through my deserts, many, from God's, from God's perspective, there's beauty. There is beauty in the desert. There's the beauty in my desert, and there's the beauty in your desert. When we keep our eyes down, we don't see that beauty because we're caught like those quail on the bottom. But from God's perspective, it's so different. He sees the beauty of our lives. He's with me. He's with you. And even when we're in the desert, he's there. He's quiet. He's waiting. And he's watching. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, O people of kings and associates, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour.